Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Hello, Next Picture Show listeners. Uh, we're going pretty off format this week, given that we don't have a movie and a movie to compare it to. We've instead got a whole lot of movies because we saw a whole lot of movies in 2022. And it's traditional to round up what we want to recognize, what we most appreciated, what we most loved uh, in the year gone by. So I'm here with Scott Tobias, Keith Phipps. Genevieve bowed out of this one uh, because she, as a TV editor, has watched so much more TV than movies uh, in the past year or so. Um, but that may come up again when we talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, TV that we loved, just not on this episode. So this is just going to be a one-off and a, a pretty informal sort of thing where we discuss our top 10 movies of 2022. To avoid this being a six-hour episode, uh, we're going to kind of brisk across our uh, bottom five. We each have a top ten that we generated. Uh, you guys did yours for the reveal, I assume. Yes, by the time this publishes, uh, we will have uh, had this out on the reveal. Yeah, I was wondering why uh, I hadn't seen that yet. Did you like write up separate lists or do any kind of like combined list? How did that work? We're doing separate lists. And I think we're, one thing, one nice thing about running our own publication is that we can take our time and like not rush to have everything watched by the first week of December. So I've been, I've been, I've been watching stuff, and like I have a, I'm looking at, I did a ranked list here. This is not public, not publishing anywhere, but I have a ranked list of just for my own personal use of like 50 plus films. I, I think are were quite good, easily easy to recommend, or at least have a quality to them uh, from this year. The, I, I won't, I'll, I'm not going to read all 50. But I will say at the bottom was Cat Video Fest 2022, which was a very enjoyable <laughs> uh, <laughs> time with the movies, but perhaps not something that, that the year will be remembered for. And and where can people watch Cat Video Fest 2022 well, if they I, want? I saw it at the music box. It's a, it's a traveling uh, oscilloscope is behind it, and it's a, it's an annual collection of cat videos that kind of you know, rotate in some some you know keep keep some greatest hits, ro- rotate in uh, some new ones every year. They, they did a dog video fest for the first time this year, but I did not <laughs> did not make it to that one. But but uh, but we've been going off and on to Cat Video Fest uh, for for years now. Well, as much as I would like, I mean, maybe for the the next episode, we'll bump our planned pairing and replace it with uh, Keith Phipps ranks all of the cat video fests <laughs> from previous years. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, or just put that on the reveal. I'd like to see that. Um, I also had to do a, a top 10 for Polygon.com, but they wanted the, the dead. They set the deadline on that uh, crazy early, like in, in late November. And yeah. uh, I, I protested mightily because there were so many films that hadn't had critic screenings yet. But they said, eh, we can just continue to bump it over time. So I continued to sneak films in. But as it happened, my top five really didn't shift much from the, the cramming session that I did immediately before the deadline. So uh, I'm I'm pretty good there and I'm I'm pretty happy with uh, what I ended up with. But some of the films I saw in like the last week before we were told to turn it a, a top 10 definitely did end up on this list, which is very different from yours. Um, but we will get into that. Why don't we kick off with, uh, we're just going to blitz past our, our bottom five. Keith, let's start with you. Uh, what are your, what, what's the bottom half of your top 10 list for 2022 look like? Uh, I'm going from, from, from 10 to, to six. I've got Turning Red, uh, a, a very fine Pixar film. I think one of the best films they've done in a while. Uh, Sandro Merritt, which is one of those films that falls into this gray area where it technically is a 2022 release, but people aren't going to really see it until early 2023. But it's, it's, it's a really great French courtroom drama about a mother who kills her child and this uh, a novelist who becomes kind of obsessed with the case. Uh, I, I won't do it justice by that description. There's a lot going on about uh, about French culture and, and immigration and, and uh, what it is to be uh, of African descent in, in, in France and so on and so forth. But anyway, hopefully we can get into that more some other, other time. It's a really good film. Uh, Banshees of Anna Sheeran, which I think we'll probably be talking about later. All the Beauty and Bloodshed, the great documentary about Nan Golden, uh, and Decision to Leave, which I also suspect we'll be touching on later, uh, a really uh, inventive and haunting modern noir by Park Chan-wook. That's a really diverse uh, selection of of bottom five. I gotta say, you, you've got a a doc, a like roughly three hour mood piece, uh, a Pixar animated film, whatever you want to describe Banshees of Inisherin as, and uh, and a French courtroom drama. That's just quite the set of films. I, I found it was a lot easier. Like, I not that I ever really tailor my list to like you know fill all the slots. But I found like this year I was able to like, you know, put a bunch of different types of films in, in, in my top 10, top 15 without really like, you know, bending to 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 include things, um, uh, which, is, which is good. I think it's a sign of a healthy, uh, healthy film culture when, when you have that many different uh, types of uh, films floating around. Yeah, for 2022, I think I was less influenced by the December influx of prestige movies than possibly I ever have been at any point in my mm. my film career. Uh, Scott's nodding, but not vocalizing. Did yeah, you also find it? I, 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 I kind of agree with you. There was a lot a lot of the big sort of white elephant <laughs> movies that came out uh, late in the year were flawed. <laughs> were very flawed. In fact, it was a, it was kind of a a little bit of an off year for me. I don't know why. I, I yeah. I look at my list. It's not like I don't. I obviously like the films on my list quite, quite a bit, but my number one film would probably have been my number eight film of last year. So like I, I kind of had a little bit of a struggle finding films that just I really loved this year. So um, I don't know. I don't know what to what to say about that. But I still have plenty of films to like and 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 discuss here for sure. Yeah, I don't know that I had as much of a struggle to find films that I loved, but I definitely did not love 
the, the our, our films of December uh, usually make up a, a big chunk of the the decision and did not this time. Empire of Light is not your number one film of the year, Tasha. Is that, is that what you're saying? Empire of Light, not my number one film of the year. Babylon, somehow, not my number one film of the year. We we talked about Babylon in in high detail over on the yeah. Patreon. There were we had a lot to say about that film because that film was a lot. There's a it whole is, lot it going is. But on I mean, there. you can't. It's just so flawed. You can't po- really put it on a list like this. I mean, I appreciate. It's a big swing. I appreciate the big swing, though. At least it made an impression. At least Th- that said, it's a film I, I definitely will revisit. There's a lot of fascinating stuff in that movie well what did you find if not unflawed at least less flawed if if not if not lovable at least more lovable scout what's your bottom five look like uh my bottom five i i had to include my beloved uh confess fletch uh, on the top in my top 10 uh just one of those classic number 10s um uh, decision to leave uh is my number nine uh, the uh, terrence davies film benediction quite a beautiful film that's a number eight uh uh number seven is uh uh donkey you know you gotta have a good donkey film on there that isn't shrek it's eo um and then uh, my uh, number six is uh all the beauty in the bloodshed the nan golden doc is uh was my favorite documentary of uh, 2022 Despite both of you recommending it, I did not get to All the Beauty and the Bloodshed uh, before the deadline. It, it ended up in both of your bottom five lists. What do you both love so much about this movie? Well, she's just in a, a towering figure, uh, Nan Golden. She's just been involved in so much of of the New York art scene and also the, the p- political scene throughout her, her life. Uh, it is a film that it, it ends up being, you know, the... the uh, live footage i suppose that we get of her is all has to do with her action against a very effective action against the sackler family and and about taking taking the sackler name off of all of the museums and exhibits and stuff that they threw their name on there uh, because of her you know she she was uh she was got addicted to oxycontin and and, and the opioids and and barely survived that or ordeal and and uh, used her name and her fame to to really you know have an impact on the way that the the public understood the Sackler family, which had kept its name, you know, out of the discussion of Purdue Pharma and OxyContin quite effectively for for a long time, while keep putting its name all over you know every every art museum you, you know you, you can imagine uh, through their philanthropic uh, arm so all that that was very interesting i just and uh, it, you know but you can see a history of all kinds of things about her involvement in and in, uh, act up and and uh, you know her relationships with with all of the major modern artists in the new york scene you know and then you just get a glimpse of her art and her life it's just it's just a really full portrait of a major major artist and uh, i think it has a lot of power particularly in the last you know it's got a lot of closing speed yeah right because there's a lot of you know you you get a little bit of her background and you get a little bit of her artistic career and you get a little bit of her activism and uh, director laura poitras kind of kind of flits between one and the other but you realize it all kind of you know, he comes together in the end. It, it is, it is, and it's all part of this one life. Uh, it's, it's a remarkable film. 
Yeah, Scott, I'm also a little surprised by uh, Confess Fletch on your sure. list. This is a, a real outlier for you. You're generally a, you know, a, a very serious master shot <laughs> Taiwanese cinema type fan, uh, and less likely to to show up on with a a John Hamm comedy mystery sort of thing on your on your top tens. What what about this movie grabbed you so much? I, I like fun. I'm a fun. I'm a fun. I'm a fun person. Um, well, I just I. Think I think this is an example of a movie just nailing the assignment because it, you know it, it, I think it's been so frustrating to watch the way this film has been kind of dumped I guess by the studio is that I think it just does everything that it's supposed to do if you're gonna if the idea is let's take this piece of IP and revive it I just don't know how you do it better than this it's just it's, it's you know John Hamm is perfectly cast as Fletch, I mean, it's, it's it stays true to the spirit of the books. Uh, it's got Kyle MacLachlan as a, you know, as an art dealer slash EDM enthusiast. It's got it's got it's cast all the way through with really funny actors. The tone is just is perfectly light. It's just it's just a pure pleasure, and I think it just it, it kind of it's frustrating to me in a way because it's just like this is exactly the movie that that you would want out of a Fletch you know, revival and it just, you know, it kind of didn't, didn't have the cultural impact that it should have had. So I think it's a pleasure and, and it's a type, the type of movie that if it were just, you know, back in the, back in the day when, when I would be flipping around uh, cable, if it was a, something that kind of popped up, it, I would just keep it on. Cause it's just, it's just that kind of breezy pleasure. And I, I, I felt like I wanted it to have a place on my list for that reason. It's Got troubling it. that it's the kind of, that this sort of film, there's not doesn't seem to be a place for it anymore uh, when when there ought to be. Uh, it's highly entertaining. It is uh, you know it is not filled with uh, CGI effects or whatever. But but you know there's a time when popular movies didn't have to be, and this is kind of a throwback to that in, in some ways. And and uh, I guess it was a throwback that I think it is a growing cult though. I feel like I feel like the the people who love it love it and and spread the word. And and every once in a while on Twitter I'll see like an, a new outpouring of love for Confess Fletch more people find it and i hope that continues yeah i just i just disagree that there isn't a place for this kind of film anymore it seems like the place for this kind of film is on streaming and social media like i that film has had a surprisingly long tail in terms of people finding it loving it uh in terms of film twitter writing about it and examining it in terms of just you know revival it it doesn't have a place in theaters anymore yeah and that's usually what people mean when they say there's there's no place for this kind of thing they mean there's no place for this kind of thing as a major studio project with a guaranteed three-month theatrical window but uh, you know that so so many movies like this hit streaming and then the audience finds it and talks about it incessantly because they want other people see it to see it. And I feel like Confess Fletch was maybe one of the the bigger hits like that of the year in terms of, you know, people people spreading the word about it and not saying that it was a barn burning movie or it should have made a billion dollars worldwide like Avatar. But, you know, that it's that it's there and you can watch it and it's fun and you shouldn't miss it. I mean, I mean, I hope you're right. I mean, Matola has is wants to make another Fletch movie. Has written a script, I believe, for it. So uh, if if it if it is, I don't know. The numbers are so hard to even like understand. So I don't know what a hit even is. I mean, I know you know in our little bubble, it is. I I, I I'm with you, Tasha. It has gotten 
um, some attention. Uh, but I don't know what that if, what that equals. It's just it's so weird the way all of this works. So uh, you know maybe there's a reason for optimism that this thing could uh, that this version of Fletch could could uh, you know get another run. Uh, I'd be I'd be on board. Yeah, this is sort of a weird sideline, but I mean it used to be that uh, people in our industry both obsessively obsessively followed a box office and decried people for equating box office with um with success yeah you know we we did not want the movie that made the most money to be the winner of everything in in any contest we didn't want people to be so obsessed with how much money a movie made but at the same time all of that information was so tracked and so visible that it was pretty easy to tell where a movie succeeded and was just destined to spawn sequels and you know spinoffs and copycats and in an environment like this it's like i don't know uh, it's not even just the viewership that constitutes a success it's like what's the economics of the specific streaming service that Mm -hmm. uh that commissioned this how much word of mouth is worth it to them to to continue trying to pay john ham to do movies it's it's all kind of a big question mark yeah, no, it really is. I mean, I, it, this is almost like the cursed monkey paw version of of me, <laughs> me of me kind of wishing that we'd obsess less about box office. Now it's just, now it just feels like we don't know what's going on at all in the <laughs> with the industry. It is that's that's as frustrating as is is uh, all of of overly obsessing about uh, the numbers. So, Tasha, yep. I'm now curious about you and your uh, your bottom uh, five or your wait. Your 10 through 6 is a better way of putting it <laughs> rather than Yeah, my five. 10 through 6 uh, is actually the the number 10 on my list is another kind of good example of how weird and opaque the industry's gotten. Um, I'll just do the, the quick run through uh, 10 through 6. Uh, number 10 is Cyrano, the Joe Wright musical with uh, Peter Dinklage and, as Cyrano de Bergerac. Uh, number 9 is Robert Eggers' The Northman. Number eight is Banshees of Nishiran. Uh Number seven is Roman Gavras's Athena, which popped up on Netflix. Kind of the uh, oneer heavy technical brio having movie about a, an uprising in a French banlieue over the death of a child um, in police violence. And number six is uh, Gina Prince-Bythewood's The Woman King. Looping back to number 10 is is Cyrano. This is another movie. This one just seemed to go under everybody's radar. Mm -hmm. And it was because its release was such a a weird question mark. Uh, If you look on the IMDb, it's considered a 2021 film because it played film festivals in 2021. And then it got a, as far as I can tell, like a one week, one theater screening in December 2021 for awards purposes. But it actually came out in theaters in the US, at least in February. And yet it wasn't, it didn't seem like it was on anybody's lists. Nobody noticed yeah, I hate that gray area. Like, like, uh, like, Petite Maman m- might be on my list for this year because it's technically a twenty twenty one film, and like, we're gonna run to that next next year. With, I think you know, with some other films, uh, um, you know, yeah, you know. that sucks. Well, Saint Omer seemed like uh, it could be that situation. Saint Omer, there's a film coming out called Return to Soul, which is which is really uh, a quite good film with who people are going to be talking about, but it's technically going to be a twenty twenty two film. But yeah. We had the same problem with uh, The Worst Person in the World, which, Mm -hmm. you know, a year ago kind of came out in that weird dead zone. And we put it at Polygon, we put it on our best of uh, 2021 list, and then it turned up on a bunch of 2022 lists. And it's like every publication is going to have its own call in terms of 
do you go with the the wide release, the theatrical date? That's another way that the industry has gotten weird and opaque is when does a film come out technically? If, if a film plays in one theater for one minute in December for awards purposes, does that actually count as a, a 2022 film or a 2021 film? If nobody else in the world can see it, did it really come out? If a tree falls in the forest, uh, can it get an Oscar, you know? Yeah, I know. It's, it's frustrating. And I, I'm glad you have it on there. It is conceptually interesting uh movie for sure because it is a musical but um i think it's really effective it worked it it worked for me too i i thought i thought it kind of should have gotten a little bit more critical acclaim or attention than it got that and athena are films i haven't seen so i'll have to see athena is my number one regret now i can't i i i can't believe i haven't seen it because it seems like it'd be completely up my alley and i just i might have to like squeeze it in before <laughs> submitting submitting my uh my reveal list t- tomorrow because or because uh, i i just i've heard so many great things and now here it is on tasha's list from your list benediction is the one i need to get to but you know well there's still time there's still time right no, yeah no. athena is one of those movies that uh, you may spend half of the movie just regretting you're not seeing it in a theater on the big screen mm, it's yeah. uh, it's so it's so big. I mean, it's I don't know how long that opening one is. It it might be eight or so minutes long. One of the things that I still haven't gotten around to seeing is Netflix immediately put out a, a behind the scenes like how we did this, you know, because the single shot sequences are, you know, up there with uh, some of the some of the biggest ones we've seen in cinema over the years in terms of um, complexity and uh, camera ambition. And then there's just there's a lot of uh, children of men style okay that camera just like went through a building or went through a a car like how the hell are they doing this but like on top of that it's one of those things i i can actually hear mike d'angelo like steaming somewhere over the acclaim that this film has gotten because he's (laughs) he's just so down on the uh the The single the single take uh, the single take shot yeah and it getting attention but it has gotten a lot of attention with athena but at the same time athena is just full of intense uh, performances and really big emotions and a, just a really important issue and it's fascinating to me kind of how it rides the line between understanding I, the the very very end of it post credits uh i have some big questions about but up until that moment it really kind of rides the line of are people in an uprising, in a, a, a straight up riot situation uh, as a protest, they're doing a lot of damage and they're harming a lot of people, but they're also resisting a situation. Uh, again, police killing a child that, you know, maybe requires this kind of anger, this kind of expression, this kind of attention getting stunned. And I'm not sure that the film has a lot of answers in terms of is there a right or wrong here? Is there a solution? Is there a way out? It's it's just a presentation of emotion and, and where it gets you. And, you know, I, I tend to love that kind of thing in film. Speaking of things we love in film, you guys ready to get into your top five? Woohoo! Let's go. Let's let's do it. Let's start with you, Keith. What's your number five for 2022? My number five film for the year is Nope, Jordan Peele's uh, third film as a director and a uh, really a film that arrived uh, shrouded in a lot of mystery and like 
played shrouded in a lot of mystery. I mean, I've seen this film uh, several times now, and I, and I do see a, a, like a new connection each time. I, I, I really, with you know, I, I'm probably repeating something else I've said else before, and, it's, and I'll say again at some point. But like, uh, Get Out is such a, a wonderful, clear metaphor, uh, beautifully executed, and I think think like with Us and Nope, Peel has gotten a little. Uh, more opaque in ways that make those films really fascinating to think about and watch. And just technically, uh, it's just a beautifully executed thriller uh, that begins as a, without spoiling too much, if you haven't seen it, be, begins as a kind of, you know, alien invasion film and kind of ends as uh, Jaws <laughs> in a way. Uh, I uh, uh, There's a lot going on here about, uh, you know, race and, and showbiz uh, but it's also just a kind of rip-roaringly exciting uh, thriller about uh, some some misfits uh, banding together to fight some unknown force that 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 that's stranger than they they ever could have could have ever reckoned. A uh, uh, great time of the movies for me. Nope was not a lister for me because it just it I think it ended up being too flawed. I think it's trying to do so many different things and some of those things conflict with each other. But I think I thought about that movie more than any other movie that I've seen this year. I think I came back like mentally to some of the images of it. We did a list at Polygon of scenes of the year. And for me, the the blood rain in the house uh, is just one of the most indelible sequences of, of 2022. The horror of it and the, the, the mystery and the confusion, but also just the incredible way it's shot. There's so many images in that film um, that just lingered with me for months and so many questions that I kept thinking about. I, I think it's one of the year's most intriguing films, even if I didn't personally think it was one of the year's best yeah i'm 100 percent with tasha <laughs> i just like to say that sometimes when that, uh, on the rare occasion that, that happens <laughs> just for variety <laughs> yeah everything that tasha just said about nope i'm, I'm uh, on board with scott what is your number five uh my number five is after yang uh the koganada film that we discussed way way back in early uh 2022 and and really for any film it's it, that's the one thing about doing these lists is that is that the further away you get from a from some of these films uh the less likely they seem to appear on the list but but this one stuck with me uh this is this is a story about about uh you know a future in which uh a a very um human-like robot companion uh dies right after the film opens or malfunctions has a terrible malfunction and a father tries to um get it fixed and uh can't really be be fixed so um it, it's about it, but it's it's about the journey and and uh i it's an immensely moving film um philosophically loaded uh and particularly meaningful to to say uh, non-believers such as myself who just who who really value life on earth i mean it's a film about the value of uh, the, the value of a of a life uh and, and what it means and how, how you kind of break it down into to, to component parts in, in this case um uh, it's quite uh, quite lovely um it's just, it's the type of thoughtful you know uh, emotional science fiction that you like to see so so uh, that that's my number five I feel like we don't need to dive into After Yang too much, given that we did an entire episode about that one, uh, pairing it with AI. Uh, 
I want to say AI, the extraterrestrial. <laughs> uh, Steven Spielberg's AI. Uh, but that still remains one of my favorite episodes that we did all year in terms of kind of picking that film apart and analyzing some very elliptical storytelling that's just very powerful and, and very well done. And it still remains a kind of uh, next picture show all timer for me in that I, I think it's the only time we've had three different people uh, on the show get slightly choked up while trying yeah, to talk about, about a movie. That. I was thinking about that. I, I'd be cu- curious. I wonder uh, if that would be Genevieve, if Genevieve were on the pod, if that would be her number one film because like, she had a particularly strong reaction to it. We'll never know. <laughs> we, we can ask her, I suppose. Oh, yeah, we can ask her. We have access. Tasha, what about you? What, what about what's your number five? My number five is Inuo, which is a Japanese anime movie um, by the director of uh, Ride Your Wave, Lou Over the Wall, Mind Game. This is a person who makes just really unusual anime films. The characters have very little to do with the traditional kind of, uh, you know, big eyed, colorful haired uh, characters in so much anime. They're... In this case, it's a sort of historical uh, epic uh, set 600 years ago about a a young boy, shall we say, touched by the spirits and a, a blind monk who come together and kind of form the world's first rock and roll band. It's, again, a very impressionistic story. It's it's made to kind of reflect how changing regimes alter history by refusing to tell certain stories or telling stories in certain ways. But it expresses it as this just kind of creative musical explosion as these two outcasts come together and start singing these wild songs about a group of Japanese warriors who lost battles and therefore their stories have been erased and come under the attention of the the ruling regime who wants to stamp these stories out. It is uh, another one of those, oh God, why didn't I see this on the big screen when I had the chance movies? It's just gorgeous. And the music is weird and strange and evocative. Uh, long, long periods of this uh this musical movie are just dedicated to performances of these story songs and the the growing fanatical audience around them. But it's uh, it's both an ambitious story in terms of the ideas at play and just a playful one in terms of the incredibly strange visuals. I, I really loved this film. I was very, very taken with it. I confess to not being aware of it. So this is this Same. is a good this is a good chance for it. So where where can people see it? Can people see it now? Somewhere? Yeah, it's uh, it's available digitally. It's yet another release from G Kids, the mm. uh, New York animation outlet that picked up all of uh, Studio Ghibli's output and kind yeah, of gently took the it away from quality with uh, G Kids. <laughs> Exactly. But they they took it away from Disney and basically did way, way better subtitling and uh, voiceover with it than Disney had done and and gave it more of a platform. That's good. Um, And then, you know, they're uh, making sure that those movies get seen on like HBO Max, for instance. But yeah, G Kids, I just follow them pretty religiously because they... They bring in animation from around the world. They do really high quality dubs and subs, um, translations, and they're just incredible curators of um, amazing animation. And this was their latest. So, uh, yeah, that's me. Uh, Inuo, number five. 
Keith, uh, looping back to you for your number four. Uh, it's a film you might have heard of called After Yang, uh, which we've, we've uh, you know, covered <laughs> uh, uh, um, pretty extensively. I'll just, I'll just say, very good film. Maybe you can move on from there, I guess. Yeah, we, we Keith and I have a bit of a Borg thing happening with, uh, yeah, with our top so. five, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, your, your top fives are very similar, but uh, in in different orders. I'm I'm throwing mine out. I'm I'm I'm, I'm no number one film of the year is uh, Three Thousand Years of Longing. Let's say that. Let's say that. Did you just sub, subtract a thousand years? Did you just call it two thousand years of longing? No, I thought it three thousand years. Okay, it, it probably just came out all oh much mouth, but uh, but yeah. Okay. Oh, I had a, I had such hopes for that movie. I like it. It's on my, it's <laughs> my like top it fifty of the year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of things on your top fifty of the year. I would say That's maybe true. up to fifty movies on that list. I mean, it's no Cat Video Fest twenty twenty two, but it's it's you know it's something. <laughs> uh, Keith is the only person to not uh, threaten to to break into tears on our After Yang podcast. Uh, <laughs> well, I tripped up during the AI portion of that, so it's fine. You know, I just okay. kind of. <laughs> but uh, you, you no, I'm in. That's a film I've seen it a couple of times now. Um, you know, it is is one I would I would easily watch again. I, I, again, I, I thought I found you know it's not a film that goes out of its way to uh, connect the dots for you in some ways, and I and I find that part of part of its pleasures is is you know putting together some of the connections between characters there and 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 the subtleties of the relationships. And uh, it's one where I find myself thinking about the scenes like uh, the tea scene and and moments like that. It's it's a it's a it's a lovely film, a thought provoking one as well. I am pretty curious how it would play on a second viewing. Uh, virtually nothing on my list is something that I got to see a second time. Yeah. And that movie in particular, a, a lot of the emotional impact for me was in some surprise elements of it. And then a lot of the mystery of it for me was not knowing whether they're ever going to actually recover this friend of theirs, this family member of theirs. So being able to see it a second time and just like live in sequences like the tea scene, I think would be a very different experience. I, I also, I, I should say we should, uh, we should want more of the opening of after Yang and the closing credits of white noise. <laughs> more of that stuff. <laughs> more dancing basically is what more you're dancing, talking about. More fun, more fun, more fun, more fun because that's, that those are two awesome sequences. Fair enough. Uh, Scott, what is your number four? My number four is the Fablements uh, by a filmmaker you may have heard of named uh, Steven Spielberg. Um, Doesn't this ring a bell. Was, uh, this was one a, one of a number of films under kind of the prevailing theme for me. After Sun is another. After Armageddon Time is the third, which are all about movies in which filmmakers reflect on childhood memories or, or moments in, in in childhood that that they understand differently as adults than they than they really comprehended at the time um i think there's a richness to the fablemans I, I, I think it's important that spielberg has both made it now as as this late in his career and that he's also worked with tony kushner uh the the uh, on the screenplay it feels like a real challenge to him to really confront um this piece of his past uh it's not just purely a nostalgia piece though it is that it is also about um understanding what uh, that adults are complicated and have uh, relationships that are not sometimes not easy to understand or approve of and and um uh you know and, and, there, and there's even moments in the film where 
um, Spielberg is reflecting on moments that he doesn't even understand. E- even in the movie, even the movie doesn't. Know, you know, you thinking about I think about all this senior skip day movie that he makes, uh, where he makes a, a, his chief bully into a, a kind of hero and i don't even think the film has it sorted out why he does that it just it's just there for us to kind of process it's just tr- kind of true um so all of that's wonderful and it, and it is it does work also as sort of a tribute to the movies and in uh, as a love letter to the movies uh, that part of it is also quite affecting and then you have that incredible you know david lynch uh, as John Ford Capper as well. So I, I uh, the Fablemans I, I loved, and that's that was my number four. Uh, Tasha, what is your number four? I think we'll come back to the Fablemans in just a moment. But before that, uh, my number four is Decision to Leave, um, which turned up on both your your bottom lists, and mm-hmm. we didn't discuss it at the time specifically because we knew it was coming up. Uh, Park Chan Wook is just been a fascination of mine forever. Um, I I love his work. This movie is one of a number on my 2022 lists that's there as much as for construction as anything else. It's man, the unfolding of this movie and the ongoing question of what is this story about? It seems to be about a whole bunch of things. Oh no, it's kind of about one thing. But it takes a really long time to see that and then it hits you all at once what this movie is doing. I, I, I love that in a film. Decision to Leave, also a movie that we uh, profiled on the show and, and talked about at great length. So maybe don't need to dive into, you know, why why we love it. But uh, yeah, maybe after Nope, this is probably the, the movie that I thought most about in 2022 in terms of all of the different threads and how they pull together and just moments kind of recurring in my mind as uh, I, I slowly sort of piece together, oh, that's why this is there. That's why we we keep recurring this particular concept or this particular conceit or this particular conversation. And talking to Park Chan-wook about the symbolism in this film, uh, probably my favorite interview I did in 2022. This and Nope, I suppose, are, are two of the films I feel like most inclined to revisit. Just because, because I and in, in, in you mentioned them being two that you thought about a lot, and I, I think it's just I just think there's a lot to sort out in these movies. I it, you know it's just it didn't feel I didn't feel like I fully got it. And my my worry, of course, is that is that I'll see both of them again and be like, why did I not rank them higher on my list? What you know, I should have trusted that these filmmakers know they know what they're doing and that uh that i just needed to kind of catch up and uh but i mean there's no doubting that decision to leave is just has that impeccable style too i mean that, that he is just he has gotten you know the beginning of his career i mean i've always liked him but there was kind of this this very showy operatic quality to his early work which again is quite good i mean i, I like the the, the the vengeance trilogy quite a bit but I think that I think lately there's just a there's a level of subtlety and sophistication that he's added to 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 his work. Uh, I mean, he's matured. I think as a as a filmmaker, and it's and I think you can see that, you know, in Decision to Leave. Yeah, there's such a confidence the way he plays with the editing of it, the way he plays with like twisting, you know, offering unexpected twists on familiar noir elements and, and you know police procedural elements and and way. I I, th- I feel like it's a film that kind of keeps emotion at arm's length until it like lets that arm down and lets the emotion come rushing in at the end uh yeah i think it's it's a remarkable film 
Yeah, and uh, part of that maturity process has been uh, kind of slowing down, uh, spending spending more time in contemplation instead of uh, frenetic action. You know, I will I will never not love Old Boy and its frenetic yeah. action and its extreme violence. All like none of none of this is to in any way insult his uh, older work or say that you know this is better. Thank goodness he's he's grown up and grown out of that phase. They were just very different phases for recognition the same filmmaker. And, uh, you know, I, I love that he's, instead of trying to just recreate what he did when he was a, a younger man, he's kind of just taken it into a, a new form and a new format. And I, I love that for him. Keith, uh, what's your number three? My number three film is The Fablements, uh, which which I think I think you're kind of onto something where, where some of the most interesting films of the years are, are the ones that kind of present these puzzle elements that kind of gel together uh, as the film progresses. I think that's true of, of you know, the decision to leave and so on and so forth. But but I think with The Fablements is very explicit with that, where, where I, I, the favorite scene, maybe of the year, uh, is the editing sequence where where the young young Sammy is putting together uh, a film of his um, family's camping trip and comes to realize that, you know, that the evidence there is of, 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 of what's going on with his family uh, that he didn't notice is there on, on film, and and he chooses to put together an alternate history, and and it, there's just a lot going on there with with the way stories are told, the way film tells stories, and I just found it a remarkably um, you know moving film as well. It, it, I was a little skeptical at the idea of um, of Spielberg doing an autobiographical film. It's not he's not that kind of filmmaker. Uh, at least I, I didn't think of him as 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 such. But I think the way he dug into his own history, connected it to the history of film and his own love of filmmaking. It was all, you know, really nicely done and and a film. I, 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 this one I did not get a chance to revisit, but I look forward to revisiting it at, at some point. Scott, what about you? What do you have at number three? Uh, yeah, so my number three is The Banshees of Inishirin. This is uh, the new Martin McDonough movie uh, reuniting him with uh, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. You know, the, 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 oh, of course, the, the team that did it in Bruges, we did a pairing on, on those two as well. And it was it was really great to see them both together. This is a it's a very entertaining film. It's got it's got the McDonough dialogue. It's got that great chemistry between the two stars. But it's also quite bleak and sort of heartbreaking at, at its core. Uh, this is about, uh, it's a film about a friendship um, that just ends for what seems like no reason, but it isn't no reason. It's it's uh, Brendan Gleeson's character just decides that this guy, part of his daily routine that he's been drinking pints and shooting the shit with every day, like he doesn't want to talk to him anymore. This is not he's not a person of substance. He only has so much time left, and uh, and then of course uh, that is incomprehensible to his friend. And and uh, uh, you know these are this is an island that is extremely well evoked uh, both uh, visually and dramatically uh, performances are, are wonderful across the board including Barry Keegan as a uh, very sad <laughs> misfit boy in uh, Carrie Condon as Colin Farrell's uh, sister who, who kind of starts to eye, eye the mainland uh, as uh, maybe a more uh, substantial uh, place to, uh, for her to go yeah there's there's uh there's a lot here um and uh, i think it's a real it's a real good comeback film for mcdonough it's really sort of him at his best so uh that, that's my number three 
we should probably pause here to just note what a remarkable year in uh, for Colin Farrell <laughs> it was, and what, a, <laughs> what range he has, in, in, in across the two films we've already talked about, and of course uh, the Batman, uh, where he's a lot yeah. of fun and, and very big in a very big performance that has nothing to, that's unlike either of the other two performances we've we've talked about. Um, I also love that they, you know Colin Farrell one of the handsomest people alive you know you can't you can cast him convincingly as as the village dullard in in, uh, in uh banshees and it, and it works for some reason i guess he's also in 13 lives i didn't even think about that but but uh that, that one I, yeah I that's a, that's, but, that's but, not a bad film too the 13 yeah, it's, lives. it's a big big year for colin farrell yeah he's wonderful i mean i think he's he's just could do anything right i mean he could he can give you uh you know he could do drama he could do comedy he has that kind of star magnetism but but he's also kind of approachable and and fun i mean i you know in in on top of anything else i mean just aside from the movie stuff he's he's one of the most fascinating interviews i had a conversation with him once i can't remember what it was about what piece i was writing but i could just listen to this guy talk all day he's just he's just such a thoughtful thoughtful guy he was he's the greatest gift that that joel schumacher ever brought to (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to cinema mm. in my opinion is uh when uh when schumacher cast him in Tigerland, and uh and farrell's career kind of took off from there because he's 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 really something it's also just kind of remarkable to see him in so many films in a year like for for quite a while there i think around the time of in bruges i was so taken with in bruges when it came out and i was like where where is colin farrell like why don't we see more of him and for a very long time he was being very selective you know he he would show up in one maybe two films a year he did not work often and it was very clear that that was not because uh he was having trouble getting work it was because he was very very selective about what he did and uh, to see him in in this many movies with this much diversity is kind of exciting that said i don't want to uh con- entirely shift the focus off martin mcdonough who uh, you know is is just doing something he he is another filmmaker who i think has matured quite a bit our editor-in-chief, Chris Plant, wrote this uh, pretty amazing, I think, look back at Martin McDonough's plays and the fact that he he wrote something like 10 plays uh, over the course of a, a few months, and then it, it took a decade for them to actually all make it to the stage. He was just this like incredibly restless, driven, young creator who threw a whole lot of stuff on the stage and then suddenly did a hard pivot into movies, but did not make many movies. And Chris ends up kind of like tracking the obsessions of his plays and how they work into his movies and the the progression of the movies that he's made and how they've, they've kind of shown him finding himself. And I, I think it's a pretty remarkable uh, piece of, of analysis and criticism that I really enjoyed and that really just made me think about Banshees in a different way. But we all ended up with this, uh, this one on our top 10. We were all pretty taken with it. Yeah, it's really good. Tasha, what's your number three? My number three is uh, Ryan Johnson's Glass Onion, which is a movie that has become just really surprising to me. Um, Pretty, pretty controversial and divisive on uh, on film Twitter. Uh, There's there are people that are big time angry with this movie because it's fluffy. And I certainly agree that it's fluffy. But man, it's it's been another year where I could use some fluff in my life. 
I loved the structure of Glass Onion so much. I love what it asks Janelle Monet to do. I love how it it kind of plays with the ideas that Ryan Johnson first laid out in in Knives Out, but just kind of makes them easier, I guess, easier on the eyes, easier on the brain. Uh, it's a a sunny vacation movie that just kind of feels like maybe a little bit of comfort food in another complicated and stressful year. And the lightness of this movie and the silliness of this movie did not bother me at all. But I just wound up really loving the way that this thing is put together and what it asks you to follow Ryan Johnson through. Just the the loop-de-loops of time and uh, the the elements of the mystery involved, um, I found really compelling. I, I really like this cast. I like their silly, over-the-top characters. I, I just don't see a whole lot to dislike about Glass Onion, and I'm, I'm really surprised at the people who seem big-time mad about it. I just ignore him, you know. I, yeah. And I'm, 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 uh, I'm with you. I, I loved, I loved Glass Onion, and I loved seeing it in the theater, which was was uh, sort of a weird one week window that Netflix did. But I mean, and it is, it is fluffy in a sense. It's very entertaining, and but I think it's got some bite to it too. I don't think it's a subtle satire, but certainly satire is not. Uh, it's pretty, pretty central to what it's doing here as as well. Yeah, I mean, Knives Out took on deeper issues, headier issues, and in a more serious and subtle way. And that seems to be one of the big objections. But I don't know. Sometimes uh, when you're when you're looking at targets that are as ridiculous as this movie's targets are, I, I think it's fine to be a little ridiculous in response. And it just it nails the target. I mean, I mean, and, and how can you not? <laughs> how can you not love it? I mean, just like poking at billionaire idiots, it's just there's just no target that that is richer than that. Um, I know I, I find the film a, a great pleasure. And I mean, just to see it, this, just like knives out, it's like you, who done it's are the hardest thing to pull off. They just are. I mean, like you just, the mechanics are hard to pull off. It's hard to, it's hard to both fool an audience and do it in a way where we don't, don't feel cheated. And you just appreciate Johnson's ability to, assemble all these pieces because it's, uh, it's just hard to do and it's, it's, it, 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 uh, it's just it's a pleasure um the structure is just the structure as you mentioned is just a, a total delight and a surprise and i, I don't know I, I it's a weird thing to, to for people that are going to dismiss it as, as fluff because i mean why, why i don't know what do you do you not like to catch a thief either i mean it's just like these are, <laughs> there's lots of movies that you know not everything has to be has to be you know psycho it can be you can have to catch a thief and be fine so uh, i had i had a good time uh with it and i really enjoyed the uh podcast episode that we did uh which was my first viewing also of the last of sheila and it was kind of fun to see what he took away from that as well so uh i'm, I'm a fan if i do have one regret in uh all of this this top tenery that we're doing it's that so many of the films on our top 10 lists are movies that we covered on the show so we don't really have the the chance to talk a bunch about movies that we haven't already talked about at, at great length i did see other movies this year y'all but i think we're really pretty good at this point at at looking ahead at a schedule and seeing yeah yeah sniffing out what movies are likely to be resonant to us and of course we cheat a fair bit a lot of these movies we do see in advance and then say okay we we just really have to make time on the show 
uh, to talk about a decision yeah. to leave or to talk about Banshees of Inishirin or to talk about, you know, a lot of these other movies. So uh, that is a little bit regrettable. And the other thing that is a little bit regrettable is that the two of you have the same two movies as your number one and number two, but in different yeah, orders. I so do, yeah. I think to prevent the this discussion getting really constrained, I'm going to just completely break format here and say, Keith, why don't you tell us what are what your uh, top two are? And then Scott, why don't you tell us what are your top two are? Okay. So my... Well. Uh, my top two are at number two, I have Tar. And number one, I have the film kind of rocketed to the top of my list after I saw it. And I thought, well, I'm glad I'm not going to have the same film that everybody else has. And then, of course, our both our, our friends, both hosts of Film Spotting, uh, both have it as their number one film. I've seen it as number one film on other people's list. Anyways, After Sun, uh, which uh, is a remarkable uh, debut film from Charlotte Wells. Um, and what well, movie I keep coming back to well, with both of these, I keep coming back to individual scenes and kind of turning them over in my mind and, and thinking about how they fit into the, with the larger uh, scheme of the film. But with, with after sun, I, I think that's a film that just demands that of you because it is so much about, it's a story we haven't, people who don't know it's, it's, it's certain, it's essentially the reflections of a filmmaker <laughs> uh, recalling a trip she took with her father, uh, played by Paul Mescal, uh, when she was 11 year old to like kind of a a budget Turkish resort, um, and you know piecing together what happened, um, you know a lot of unremarkable events that that uh, the events that seemed unremarkable at the time that kind of you know kind of fit into her understanding of of who her father uh was and and is um and it's one where it just doesn't nothing really it really comes together at the end through this you know incredible final uh, stretch of scenes uh but it's filled like of all kinds of like you know lovely lovely moments of observation along the way um the it's uh, you know i don't i don't know, I, just, I i just love it and, and i um was not a film I even knew anything about uh, at the beginning of the year. It came out of nowhere for me and and uh, uh, blew me away. And, and and Tar, you know, well, let's, let's, let's got to talk about Tar. It's his number one. Yeah. Hey. Wow. That you want to break format? You spoil another man's number one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Scott, what are your top two? It, it, it's the same as Keith, but reversed. My my number two is After Sun. My number one is Tar. To get a little more on After Sun. I almost feel like is this a, is this with both of the film spotting guys and with the two of us, Keith? Is this a, is this a as a father of daughters choice? It, it might be. It uh, might yeah, be. It, certainly... it, it was just it was just a emotional, just a wrecking ball for me to yeah. watch this thing. And it was just, and I, I you know it was there was no film that came close. Even after Yang didn't ha- didn't didn't uh, I didn't, didn't get get the feels uh, like this one did for me. And I think it has. There's something. There's something just about. You know, if you're about the way that that parents, you know, have to, you know, sort of mask, I guess, the way that they're feeling a lot of the time when they're around their kids. They want they want their kids to be happy. They want to, in, in this case, as a father wants to 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 have, you know, show his kid a good time and and do all the do all the stuff in their on a resort and have and be silly and and at the same time you know he's feeling a you know obviously quite a lot of of pain and um that dynamic and, and just the film's acknowledgement of that feeling of of that reflection of just like wait this is this is who this person was and and uh you know you know even though he you know it, i don't know it's just it's just so 
touching. Um, and, and, and just the way it works as a memory piece. I mean, you talk about it as a f- filmmaker reflecting on the past. I mean, that kind of is what it is, but it's not really framed that obviously, you know, I mean, it's not like a filmmaker is somebody who was, a, 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 you know, a, a visible presence in the movie. It's just, it doesn't, it's not like the Fableman's or Armageddon right. time in that. That really only becomes apparent as the film goes along. Exactly. Well. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, you know, just, it just is, it is a memory piece, but it doesn't behave like, like, like one. So, so that's, that's really good. And as far as Tar is concerned, it's just the biggest movie I saw this year in terms of just having a richness to it, of having a bold, ambitious structure and style and tone and pace um, of having a lead character who is, uh, so immensely complex and played you know really the performance of the year for me by Kate Blanchett it is uh a film that approaches uh, you know a big cultural issue without mate without being an issue movie somehow I don't know how it manages that but it does and uh and I just think it takes it just takes a lot of a lot of risks that 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 pay off um it, you know so so I I it, I was uh, yeah, this was it was a pretty clear number one for me in that respect. It just it had that kind of scope uh, that that you kind of want from a number one movie. Um, so uh, yeah, Tar. Uh, we already did talk about Tar at great length on uh, its own episode, so I'm not going to get into that too much, except to say this: we're recording this in a very tight turnaround. It should be up. We're recording it on a Monday, and it's supposed to go up on a Tuesday. We'll we'll see how our uh, harried producer Genevieve handles that. <laughs> But I so later later this week, I think I got one more tar piece in me that I'm going to get up at Polygon.com. Really? And it's, in you? It's, it's definitely going to um, revolutionize film Twitter. Uh, <laughs> oh people, people are definitely going to uh, tell me that I'm an idiot. Anyway, as far as Afterson goes... I, after watching this movie, I kind of felt like I'd been poleaxed. It just the the way it the way it wraps and the way that rap invites you to reexamine everything that you've just seen. It's kind of a a puzzle piece movie in a way. There are just so many threads to it that you know don't quite add up until the end uh, as you as you put together the pieces i think it's worth uh, mentioning that it is a fictional movie when you say it's yeah. a movie about a filmmaker looking back on her father it that is a fictional story about a fictional filmmaker looking back on her father mm. but writer director charlotte wells is also a filmmaker who's using this movie to examine uh, her relationship with her father so you know it's it's a, a puzzle box inside a puzzle box in a way but there have been so many movies uh, in recent years that are documentaries about female filmmakers looking back on their fathers. It, it's, I guess, worth noting that uh, just to try to give people a, a clearer view of it. I have said this before. I'm going to say it again. I strongly recommend immediately after watching After Sun reading Sam Adams' uh, analysis of the movie over on Slate, which really opened some things up for me in terms of how the movie uses some very specific symbols that are very, very subtle. You know, I I think most Next Picture Show listeners are pretty attentive and analytical and thoughtful movie watchers, and they're going to get a lot of what this movie is laying down. But there there are definitely some things that Sam caught that are went completely over my head. And I loved that piece in terms of and in terms of like observation and and thought, it was one of the one of the most useful critical pieces I think I read this year. I endorse Sam Adams. I haven't read that piece, uh, but Sam, Sam, Sam's great. Another as a father of daughter. 
daughter's <laughs> guy. So uh, indeed, uh, yeah, we love Sam, and it's crazy we have not had Sam as a guest on the show. I, uh, that's very strange. We should we should rectify that in uh, twenty twenty three because uh, uh, Sam's been a friend of friend of mine for twenty years, and and uh, is an, is an excellent excellent critic and can can do can do pods quite well. So we should uh, yeah, think and about I'm, it. I'm, a contributor at every place we've ever worked together. Yeah. Uh, just a, a really Rock thoughtful solid. critic in general. Absolutely, Tasha. Put him so on the list. This is all you. You've got you've got the floor for your number two and number one here. Uh, yeah, that's that's why I did this this way was just to give me more floor <laughs> because um, my number two requires a lot of floor. It requires uh-huh. a lot of space. It is in fact uh, SS Rajamouli's RRR, uh, the the Indian Bollywood epic, uh, more than three hours long, comes with an intermission. Uh, <laughs> Is it a three-act structure or a 12-act structure? I don't know. It's a lot of story. Uh It's a lot of stories. Um, But I loved this film, and I loved getting to see it in a theater, a a completely sold-out music box showing. Oh, my God. That would have been so much fun. I only saw Roughly 50% of the people there, uh, by show of hands, had already seen the movie. Oh, wow. And were back for a, a second showing. Oh, my gosh. Man, this the the way people cheer the heroes in this movie, the way they boo hissed the villains, the way they <laughs> clapped along with the songs. It it was a real experience. But even just watching it alone at home on Netflix, which is one of the places you can find it now, I have to think would be a pretty engaging experience. Uh, albeit one that my people, some people might want to approach like TV and just watch it uh, episodically because <laughs> there are there's so many movements to this story. It's the story of uh, two two friends, two fast uh, friends, two two soulmates who are also both uh, big time Indian action stars to the point where uh, the two of them appearing in a movie together was a, a big big deal uh, in its in its native country. But it's also been a an international super hit just because it's so damn fun. Uh, the two characters meet during a sequence where they see a child in danger, they lock eyes from afar, and then they engage in a thoroughly ridiculous uh, scheme to to save the child that involves fire and swinging off of bridges and explosions and uh, national flags flying triumphantly in the breeze and a horse and a motorcycle at the same time. This whole movie is just full of ludicrous action set pieces um you know cgi enhanced there's there's no pretense of this movie being about gritty grounded realism it's it's just all over the top like big time fun and uh the the best bromance i think to come to the screen in in 2022 this movie is just a, a riot i'm surprised that uh neither of you guys put it on your top tens oh what did you did you see it what did you think yeah, of it? i wrote a big piece on it for the reveal i think i i think i just had like some reservations about the politics of it kind of i just felt mm, a little fair. bit i mean it's it, it's kind of very much a sort of broadly nationalistic film which i guess is what hero is too in a way that the um shang yi mao film which is awesome as well so maybe i maybe i'm being too hard on it um but because it, it is it is you know on the surface level unbelievably pleasurable i mean just it is such a treat i would i would have loved to have seen it in a theater with an enthusiastic audience because it is made for that experience and i'm kind of i'm kind of curious about maybe introducing my old eldest daughter to it so she can kind of get a sense of 
what a movie can do because this this movie does so much it's just so it's it's got it all you know and i uh, you know that just just the sequence of the the dance sequence with the suspenders is just oh my god it's so good i have just shown that sequence yeah. at this point uh to to three different people and anybody else i can find that hasn't seen rrr that i'm trying to sell on rrr i, I just That's show all them you need that. to do or, or just or even a shot of somebody throwing a throwing a, a tiger at somebody is probably good enough <laughs> yeah i uh the one i what i've shown people is is the first meeting between the our two heroes where they sort of instantly lock eyes and, and bond with the set I was like, these people have not met before, <laughs> you know, uh, I think this movie's a lot of fun. Um, I, I don't know what's holding me back from, from, from being at, uh, it's not a top 10 for me. I think part of it is, it's like Scott touched on is that final sequence where you realize, oh, wait, I, I think I've been watching a propaganda film. I don't really fully understand what's being, what the propaganda is supporting here. Um, but whatever, I, I, I'm, I'm that unease, maybe overstate it. Yeah, maybe just not really knowing the history involved. Like these these two men are portraying uh, just like comedically superheroized versions of real Indian uh, nationalists. And the the closing number is a, a big Indian nationalist uh, like independence thing. And the the villains in this movie are the British Raj and they are boo hiss evil uh, to <laughs> the, the super extreme. Uh, to be clear, like, I have like, no issue with that. <laughs> that, that, that seems, <laughs> if anything, un- understated. When I saw it at the music box, uh, it was because the director uh, had come to town and was being interviewed by Katie Reif, who uh, I w- I'm delighted to say saw the movie because of me, because I sent her to uh, to review it before anybody knew it was going to be a giant hit here. And one of the questions she asked him was, how did this movie play in England? And he's like, they loved it. It's a, it's a huge hit there. <laughs> it's made a ton of money. So uh, I, I, th- I think the Brits, uh, at least some of them have a sense of humor about the whole thing but yeah it's it's hard for me to take this as political agitprop not knowing enough about the the individual uh historical elements at play here like i i actually went and read up on a lot of it afterwards but i i know it's it's so outside my experience that it's hard for me to criticize one of the most fun films of the year for you know messaging that is not aimed at me and that I don't get maybe that's a uh, a lazy way of looking at things I don't know it's certainly something I'm gonna have to think about more I mean a ple- but you know a pleasure is a pleasure so Tasha I don't think uh, uh, there was never any question in, in my mind uh from for months what would be it, your number one film so uh, so uh, please what what is your what was your favorite film to 2022 I mean, I kept an open mind for the rest of the uh-huh. year. I was I was ready for something to come along and uh, nudge this film out of the the top ten, but mm, nope, just never happened. Everything, everywhere, all at once. The Daniels remain two of my favorite filmmakers, two of my favorite people. Just that their their thoughtfulness and their weird combination of soulful uh like pro-humanistic messaging and weird weird butt humor uh <laughs> you know the, the jokes about stuff people gaining superpowers by sticking stuff up their butts is just never going to be my area per se i'm just i'm not a butt humor kind of person and the way mm. they manage to sell it just really really lands for me Everything Everywhere All at Once is one of these mega maximalist films that 
in, I love in part because it challenges me to keep up. You know, it it challenges me to take in and accept and, and learn new things about a an invented cosmos that happens so rapidly. Uh, you know, you, you you blink and you're going to miss something. But it's also a funny movie. It's also a soulful movie. It's a thoughtful movie. It's a philosophical movie. It's a a ridiculously ambitious movie. It's a dumb as hell martial arts movie it, it's just all of these things and i said that i maybe thought about nope more than any other movie this year but i definitely wrote more about everything <laughs> all at once yeah how much how much got written just by you for, uh, for this movie I mean, if nothing else, uh, I I interviewed uh, Daniels and I ended up probably getting three or four pieces out of that interview alone just because the ideas were so, um, so diverse. You know, so many different things uh, came out of that because they're they're doing so much here. And it's just it's amazing to me that this movie, the the big, loud, heartful complexity of this movie really all just kind of comes down to like, hey, people be kind to each other. Could could you maybe be a little kinder? And uh, I, I'm going to understand that some of the fans of this movie started getting nasty to critics on social media when top 10 lists started dropping and this movie wasn't on them. And uh, Daniel Kwan, one of the writer directors, uh, stood up and posted a rant on Twitter that was basically, did you watch the movie? The whole point of the movie is be kind. Please stop doing this. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the movie was a, a massive hit. It's made more money than any A24 movie ever. And one of the things he said was, you know, top 10 lists drive people's attention to movies they might not otherwise have seen and help smaller movies get made. We don't need the help, you know, Hmm. just just celebrate some of these small movies that are making the top 10 lists and go watch them and don't, don't be nasty to other people in our names. I love these dudes. Uh, I just I love how they approach the world. I love how they approach filmmaking. I love the performances. I love that they uh, they went out and found an actor who gave up acting 20 years ago because the industry was so bad and and gave him a platform just like everything about everything everywhere all at once, I think, was was designed for my DNA. And I just I can't help but love it. It's unquestionably my top film of uh, 2022. It's really good. It landed at like number twelve for me, uh, but 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 it's it's. Uh, I think it's remarkable for all the reasons that you point out. It's also I I, I need to see it again. I, I think what what held me back a little bit is like I just I was I was worn out by it. About, you know, it, it, it just it, it exhausted me uh, at a certain point. Although I loved everything it was doing, it just I was just like can you just. Slow down just, just do a little. Less I don't it. know. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, but that's, that's not maximalist, then, is it? Uh, no. Yeah, this this movie less. is not called Many Things, Many Places. Yes, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's really it's really good, and and I think it's going to be uh, one of the defining films of the year. I mean, it's like it's like that that uh, I think the 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 three films that are are absolutely going to be you know keep the discussion going about this year are going to be tar everything everywhere everywhere all at once and, and nope i think those are the ones people are just going to keep coming back to and, and and talking about uh even if they're not necessarily my my one two and three of the year 
Yeah, there is uh, certainly a gap, I think, sometimes in our, our top 10 lists as we, we try to sort out the difference between our favorite movies of the year, the most ambitious movies of the year, the most uh, technically perfect movies of the year, the most like unassailably thought through movies of the year. They're, they're not always the same things. And juggling them around on top 10 lists does sometimes feel like comparing apples, oranges, bananas, and Sherman tanks. <laughs> so, you know, we do our best with these lists. They they reflect how we're feeling in the moment that we make them. We may feel different, uh, you know, two weeks down the line. We may see something two weeks down the line from 2022 that we missed earlier and, and deeply regret it. But we do the best we can. Um, and we've done the best we can here. Anything else you two want to say before we close this out? I agree with Keith's point about everything everywhere all at once. Uh, nope and, and Tar definitely feel like conversations that will continue and and, uh, and also Confess Fletch. <laughs> 2022 will, will remember it as the year of Confess Fletch. Yes, exactly. Well, 2023 is going to be remembered as the year of Megan, the uh, horror <laughs> film about an evil robotic doll. So that's what we're uh, we're taking up with our next pairing. Of course, we looked at that movie and immediately thought of Child's Play, the, the movie that started the Chucky series. We felt that uh, it was just high time that we, we took up an evil doll movie pairing for the first time here. Uh, January may be looking a little thin for movies like Tar that, that we consider uh, like epic experiences that we're going to be analyzing and talking about for a long time. So we decided to just kind of like drop back and, and look at what's looking like one of the bigger, sillier, funner uh, releases of the first couple of weeks of January. So if you want to play along, that's what our next two part episode is going to be on uh, Child's Play and Megan. This has been a very informally uh, structured and uh, mostly on the wing top 10 of 2022 list. And I think we're going to all go see Megan now. Looking forward to it. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. This is just it's just the perfect kind of like you've been just intensely wa- watching like the most important films of the year. And then and then you just you immediately shift gears into killer doll movie. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Well, as always, we appreciate it when our listeners share their thoughts and their recommendations with us. Uh, We want to hear what your top tens are. We want to hear what we left off, what we missed, uh, what you can't believe we put on these lists in the first place. Uh, If you want to write in or call, we might feature your response on a future episode. Leave a short voicemail at 773-234-9730 or email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net. Before we close out this top 10, where can we find everyone these days? Keith? Uh, I'm a freelance writer. I'm on Twitter at kfip3000. I write for some places like GQ, The Ringer, Vulture, TV Guide, and The Reveal, which is the newsletter that Scott and I write together, thereveal.substack.com. Um, yeah, that's, that's a, there's a lot of stuff from both of us there. Scott, how about you? Where can we find you? So, uh, same, same. Uh, I'm uh, on Twitter at, at Scott underscore Tobias. Uh, with The Reveal, uh, uh, we did we are running our top 10 lists their top 15 lists and other stuff. Uh, there's a, these are big features are running this week to, uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, so as, if you're hearing this podcast, then you can just, you can run over and check those, check those out. Also, if you are a paid subscriber to the reveal, uh, we are, we just also launched our inaugural readers poll, uh, subscriber poll. Um, so you can, uh, you can kind of take a look at, if you're a subscriber, um, then you can kind of, uh, participate in that. I'm pretty excited about, uh, what results that will yield. And, um, and then you can find my work in other places like New York times and, uh, 
Guardian and other such outlets. Tasha? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tasha Robinson. I am the film and streaming editor at Polygon.com, where you can find my uh, lengthy interview with Park Chan-wook about decision to leave. You can find Chris Plant uh, talking analytically and thoughtfully about Banshee's Venesheeran and Martin McDonough's career. And uh, later this week, you can find me being very, very silly about Tar. Our uh, absent producer, Genevieve Kosky, is the TV editor over at Vulture. She is on Twitter at Genevieve Kosky. You can stay updated on The Next Picture Show at nextpictureshow.net and on Twitter at nextpicturepod. You can get bonus content and open discussion at patreon.com slash nextpictureshow. And as always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Thanks to Dan the Big Jakes for his rush assistance in producing this very long podcast. The Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the film spotting family of podcasts. Please tune in next time. Good night, good night, good night, good night, good night, good night.